This is the Blatcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. And joining me now are Johnny Babb and Trey Nation of Ghost Hounds. Good afternoon to you, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Now, obviously, there's a there's a lot of ground that uh, you can cover, and uh, there's there's always a lot of stuff I want to ask musicians. But I think it, it's probably if you're going to do a lot of interviews, this is probably going to be question number one more than once. Explain Ghost Hounds. Where does that come from? And uh, you know, was that what was that the first name you guys had, or uh, was there a lot of consideration of other names? And then you're like, no, Ghost Hound is the perfect name. Whichever one of you wants to answer that question, I leave it to the floor. Jim Bob. Go ahead. Well, so um, I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with uh, with the uh, story of the man who went down to the crossroads and sold his soul to the devil. Sure. There's a, there's a lot of great songs about that. <laughs> yeah. So mainly we, we are inspired by Rob Johnson. Yeah. And um, the story of the hellhounds that come to collect your soul when you are being paying up on that debt. Uh, he sings about his uh, the hellhounds nipping at his heels. And so we took a beat from that. And that's why we're ghost hounds. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it, it's one of those ones where it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cool sounding name. So it almost, it almost doesn't matter. And it could, that could have been the answer, by the way, you could have been like, I don't know. We just thought it sounded cool, you know, and, uh, you, you would have been right. But, but, uh, yeah, I think sweet. That, Thank uh, you, man. I appreciate the compliment. Does that, uh, does that kind of fit into the, uh, to the, to the roots of the band as a common interest? Uh, and I'm hearing myself echo a little bit and I think it's probably, from Trey, but uh, I'm not here. Really? When when I'm talking, yeah, when I'm talking, I might. No, you know what? It's I me. think it's Johnny. It's ah, Johnny. sorry, guys. Because uh, Trey, I think you might have earbuds in. So yes, that sir. that yeah. So I was. I'm sorry that I was quick to. I was quick to uh, to blame you. It's okay, but, man. Uh, so it's my life. It's yeah. usually my fault. <laughs> no worries. So uh, so Johnny, I guess that uh, would probably be a good way to say that it. You know if. Robert Johnson inspires the name of the band. Is that uh, the sort of common ground that you and the rest of the band have, you know, and sort of you have shared appreciation of music? Will this mess it up now if I am unmuted? As long as I don't talk. Okay. Um, so uh, Ghost Sounds actually existed back in, what was it, 2008? Eight. Somewhere in that range, and Thomas, our other guitar player, who's also the principal songwriter in this band, uh, you know, he was the one who was inspired to come up with that name. Um, but yeah, it does definitely um, lend itself to the influences and the lineage of you know influences in blues and rock and roll, you know, because Robert Johnson, you know, is often heralded as the first recorded artist. You know, so I think that was like 1932 or somewhere in that range. Yeah. And, you know, recording music didn't really exist before then. Uh, I mean, it it did, but not how we know it today. You know what I mean? 
Right. It was uh, like those uh, sort of like tin can Victrola sort of sound that, uh, you know, was it with the with the big amplifier speaker against it that no yeah. matter how loud you turned it, it still sounded like it was, you know, coming from across the street or whatever. I know what you're talking yeah. about. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that sort of leads into my next question for Trey is uh, so how long the band has been together. Now, the way that Johnny answered that, it seemed like the band was together at one point and then maybe you guys went off and did other things and now you've uh, found your way back to each other. Is that accurate? No, actually, we're this is the second iteration of this band. Um, I see. And we share close ties with the original band and they had a bit to do with our uh, origin. Uh, but yeah, two separate bands. And we've been at this for uh, a few years, maybe about five. And uh, yeah, we've grown a beautiful little family here. Right. So, and what you were uh, saying earlier, Johnny, was that uh, Thomas and I, I assume, obviously, you're speaking of Thomas Tall, who plays guitars, he was he was sort of in the earlier version, and then now he's uh, keeping it going with this. Now, I know that uh, that this album that'll be out later this year, and we'll talk about the song "Dirty Angel" that comes from it. Uh, it'll be released on Gibson Records. And that's a name that I think uh, even people like myself who are just spectators and enjoy music, but uh, have never had much of an alacrity for playing or making it. Obviously we all know Gibson guitar. So uh, Johnny, take a moment and talk about how, uh, how that came about, you know, working with Gibson in terms of uh, having them release your album. Um, well, you know, I'm holding one right now. Uh, so, you know, as a guitar player, it's obviously a tremendous honor to be involved with Gibson. And they've been, you know, you know, Les Paul was at the forefront of electric guitars. So, you know, they've changed the landscape of guitar based music. And, uh, you know, um, we're just so glad to be a part of such a, um, such a legacy you know yeah. it's it's really like a, a true honor for me i i remember going to the guitar store as a kid you know it's funny i grew up in brooklyn and i used to run from my uh grade school down court street in brooklyn and i'd run about 15 blocks to get to the music store and i'd go there and i'd look and I'd stare up at the Gibsons, which were hung really high up because, you know, they were nice guitars and they didn't want just anyone touching them. And, you know, uh, I, as a, you know, seven-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid, wasn't allowed to play them. So for me, it's like a total dream to be involved with the brand and with the record label. You know, it's a, it's a pinch me moment for, for me, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be great to have that kind of endorsement. And and Johnny, don't worry, I'll I'll mute you when you're not talking. You don't have to go and do it every time. They've given me the power. I can just go ahead and uh, and, and push it there. But uh, yeah, I can imagine having that that brand behind you in any way. Obviously, uh, creates good opportunities. Um, and you know, I was uh, looking over uh, some of the some of the bands that you guys have toured with and uh obviously there's some uh names you know really jumped out on there and i wanted to ask you trey what are uh, are there any of those that come to mind immediately of i'm sorry like, you're not a big christian oh sorry about that i was just saying that uh i saw that uh, you know you guys have opened for a lot of 
uh, fairly impressive, uh, well-known bands. Are there any of those moments where they were like pinch me moments for you that like, wow, I can't believe, you know, we're sharing a bill with so-and-so. Yeah, man, there's so many. I mean, we've been so fortunate to uh, be given a chance by all these amazing legends and it's it's uh it's all really kind of a pinch me moment but there was one time in particular where uh we were we were doing a show in berlin and this this uh this event space was built by hitler actually uh it was a place where he would give his speeches and uh so that was a part of this realism for me is that i get to walk down the stage you know in this place where someone like me would have never you know been able to do before and uh i remember uh they allowed me to go a little further out um on the lip that than i am usually allowed to go and after the show i was able to go into the pit and look up at mick jagger and it was so close and it was an outside venue and it was just so captivating to my eye but he was standing in a place where i remember like kneeling down and singing a song and it that was just amazing it was an amazing feeling Right. You're like, I was just there. I was just right ago. there. Yeah. Right, my, yeah. Sweat, my sweat's under his shoe right now. That's really cool. <laughs> uh, that's very cool. Yeah. That was one yeah, of the ones crazy. I was going to mention that obviously getting to play with the stones and uh, I saw the stones about a year and a half ago. I met up in uh, Vegas with my dad and uh, oddly enough, my dad had never seen them. I'd seen them a few times and it's uh, you know, it's just obviously at any time that I've ever seen them, they put on a great show. Amazing. And think of how old Mick is and how he like, I'm, I'm 47. When I was 27, I couldn't have moved that much. You know, yeah. I, I'd, I'd have a rocking chair on stage and I'm like, <laughs> I got to catch my breath, but not Mick. And nope. uh, that's, that's gotta be great to watch that. So uh, some of the other bands, uh, Johnny, that I know you guys toured with, uh, or at least have played shows with, uh, include uh, ZZ Top, Garth Brooks, Bob Seger. Uh, let me know about uh, any of those that, uh, that uh, you know, that might have, you know, a, kind of a moment that stands out, any or all of them, especially, you know, I, I'd like to hear any story about ZZ Top. Did they give you beard grooming trips, tips, or uh, try to encourage you to, to go for the, the, the real full, you know, down to your, <laughs> down to your belly button kind of beard? Um, no, uh, no beard uh, tips, but yeah, I mean, what I can say is that, you know, we've been treated extremely well by everyone we've opened up for. And, uh, you know, specifically with ZZ Top, there was one moment um, we were sound checking and, you know, I felt someone come up behind me and, you know, kind of touch my back. And I was assuming it was my guitar tech by like, trying to fix something, like adjust my wireless pack or whatever. And I turned to the left, like just like this, and there was a huge beard right in my mouth. <laughs> and it was Billy Gibbons, and he reached up behind me and he started and over this side and started playing my guitar. And you know, then we got to jam with him. And uh, you know, I, I sent uh, a picture to my my dad, and my dad was like, you know, my I think my dad was a little bit jealous, but you know, like he introduced me <laughs> to them and. You know, these are all pinch me moments because, you know, that was their 50th anniversary tour. And, you know, sure. it was when Dusty was still alive and, you know, rest in peace, you know. And also we got to the first Stone show we played was when Charlie was still alive. And 
you know, rest in peace, Charlie Watts, you know, and, and, and these are irreplaceable moments, you know, you, you can't, you can't uh, put into words what it means to be a part of it, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, especially with these iconic bands that we're talking about, and then there, look, there is a little something extra when, like, you know, being with ZZ Top and, yeah, and uh, Dusty was still with us. I, you know, they they had the same three guys for 50 years. And, yeah. you know, they, they only replaced him because he passed away. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can just, uh, I can remember watching Charlie Watts and uh, obviously, you know, such a unique figure. And um, I, I, I assume that it must be great because, even if these aren't bands that directly you feel like, oh, they're an influence, but uh, just uh, just to having the guys from ZZ Top say hi, anything like that, Trey, that must be great, right? Yeah, that's it's always amazing. Actually, it's pretty cool. I was uh, I was performing in Beijing actually in like 2014, and uh, my guitarist and the violin player in my band actually ran into Billy Givens, and they ended up going to a, some Chinese market together. So. There's always just a few degrees of separation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they're they're used to. There used to be that game that people would try and do six degrees of yeah. Kevin Bacon, but in the music <laughs> business, it's probably six degrees of Billy Gibbons. You know, yeah. there's always yeah, really. there's always somebody who's uh, been somewhere with him. Yeah. Well, uh, before we uh, we started, uh, the topic came up. Obviously, you guys have uh, a great new song out uh, called uh, "Dirty Angel." And uh, there is a, uh, a video that goes with it. And uh, from the inside scoop that I've gotten recently, my understanding is that it was uh, pretty cold that day. Uh, take a moment, uh, Trey, to just talk about the song and uh, filming the video that goes with it. So uh, Thomas, the uh, other guitarist in our band, writes all the songs. And uh, one of my favorite things about his songwriting is the man can tell a story. And um, he just fabricates these characters in his mind and builds lives around them and it's a it's a really cool thing to see so with dirty angel um it's about a woman who uh is able to control when she unleashes her power on the world and i think it's a very beautiful uh metaphor for for a lot of beautiful things and it, yeah it's a great and, and filming the video was awesome as you said it was really cold we were in um san clarita santa santa clarita and, oh yeah uh, okay so in in the southern california area uh santa yeah. clarita yeah weren't so, expecting okay. it to be that cold but you know it was awesome the horse is beautiful and the girl in the video her name is mia ray she's such an amazing athlete if you could see some of the things that she was doing on these horses and it was, it was insane. It was beautiful. Talk a little bit uh, about the, the same thing, uh, Johnny, the, the sort of the filming the video, but uh, then we'll talk about the song itself. Oh wait, now I'm the one who's supposed to turn him off. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I, I bla I bragged about the power that I had and then I, I forgot. I'm, I'm so sorry that the tech is, uh, not being our friend today so johnny that's my fault that's not yours it'll be no demerits from anyone at the record company that is all on me i asked johnny a question but the beauty will be when people get the uh the audio version of this uh they'll just hear this part so johnny i've got the same question for you what about uh filming that video and then we'll talk about the song <laughs> 
I'm going to try to connect okay, but my now AirPods. I, yeah, oh, the <laughs> AirPods will go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's good. And uh, if uh, if if Apple wants to be a sponsor, I could use a new oh, pair of AirPods, work. actually. So that's all right. It's okay. I, I it's a, That's on me for forgetting that I had muted you. It's completely on me. So yeah, let's uh, let's just talk about uh, film the video and then the song itself and how it's a, probably a good representation uh, for the band. I was amazing. Okay. Yeah, that uh, Johnny, I'm gonna Whoa. kick you out and you pop back in because whatever you tried to do with the AirPods, it turns you into a robot voice. That was kind of so, cool. We should use that in the song. <laughs> yeah, you can. That can be a, a big uh, stick style comp, uh, concept oh, yeah. record. Okay. So uh, yeah, Johnny, just uh, just try to uh, yeah, we'll we'll just uh, just x out of this window and then pop back in. Uh, but you know, I think that the the song "Dirty Angel" Trey, it's got a it's got a great sound to it, and. I mean, it. I think as with a lot of great music, it's hard to classify. You know, it's rock right. song has a country vibe, but right. there's some blues in there, and it's a little bit of everything. And I'm like, that's probably exactly what you want. You don't want it to be like, yeah, this sounds like one thing, right? Yeah, yeah, man. We we pride ourselves on being bits of a a, a chameleon, chameleonizing ourselves in a bit in a way. Uh, someone actually had a really cool way of putting it. They said that we have a pulpery of songs. So I like I like that a lot. We we like to you know give a lot of flavors in our dish. What uh, what are some of the the music that just whether it's growing up, whether it's today, music that you like listening to that maybe doesn't directly influence what you play, but you're like, oh yeah, but I always loved you know this style of music or this band that maybe people would be surprised that uh, that was something that you listened to a lot. Actually, Macy Gray, uh, I think she's an, a, a musical genius. Uh, there's a band called Mute Math that is no longer together, uh, but the originator of that is Paul Meany. He he currently um, produces for Twenty One Pilots, I believe. Okay. And uh, yeah, just such a mere. There's there's just so many people, man. We could do this all day. There's there's so no, many but it, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about Macy Gray in in yeah, quite man. a while. But what a what a unique voice she what has. What a unique you know voice. I mean, yeah. like literally no one sounds like that except her. You know. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, well, uh, we've got uh, we've got Johnny back in. Text happy uh, Johnny over here. <laughs> but I don't hear myself echoing, so uh, it, it was maybe it was just oh, a bad good. connection that we had before. Uh, Johnny, we were just sort of talking about some of the more interesting music that Trey has listened to that maybe doesn't directly influence. You know, people wouldn't necessarily think. As he mentioned Macy Gray, and it's not like, oh yeah, will you sing like Macy Gray? That makes sense. No, of course not. But <laughs> What's some stuff that you listen to that maybe people wouldn't think of right away that maybe isn't represented in the the sound of Ghost Hounds? Uh, well, I you know I grew up in Brooklyn, so um, you know I was. I think what you can call the New York City sound is like kind of neo soul, so that kind of blends, you know, R and B, jazz, uh, blues, and you know, I grew up listening to a lot of hip hop as well, you know, in the 90s in Brooklyn, you know, that was kind of the the cool thing. So, I, you know, I I used to love Eminem and, you know, Notorious B.I.G. But what I loved about them was that it was the music behind it was so musical, 
I mean, <clears throat> pardon me. I'm a, you know, Jimi Hendrix head, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, you know, I'm heavily influenced by that. And there's obviously like a steep lineage in, um, you know, where they got their influence from as well. Um, so, but yeah, like the, the kind of like out of the pocket influence that you maybe wouldn't guess like through Ghost Hounds music is probably like Eminem or like TLC or Destiny's Child or Jay-Z, you know, all those kinds yeah, of things. All, all amazing songwriters with, you know, just incredibly catchy songs, you know, great hooks, great beats, all that stuff that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you just sort of soak it all in. And yeah, when you grow up somewhere like New York, I mean, you're exposed to everything. You know, it's funny to think about, you know, people think of CBGBs as this, you know, uh, you know, basically this punk rock club and the the bathroom was uh, legendary for uh, how un <laughs> unsanitary it was. But I'll say I, I, I was much more comfortable using the bathroom at CBGB's than the McDonald's on West 4th Street. Just a few blocks oh, away. It's just me. Well, you know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, somebody somebody came into a, into CBGB's with a hose once in a while. But the reason I mentioned CBGB's is that the name stood for Country Bluegrass Blues, which, you know, is not usually the music that people thought of. But if you were to look, at least like in the 90s when, when I went there before it closed, it was like kind of a little bit of everything. It wasn't just like alternative bands. It wasn't just hard rock bands. It wasn't metal. It was a little bit of everything. And I mean, I think that's a, that's a yeah, I'm sure growing up in Brooklyn, you, you talked about running to the guitar store, but you could have walked past, you know, kids listening to any different kind of music before you got to that guitar store. And it's hard to not be exposed to a little bit of everything. And even if it's not like consciously, you know, oh yeah, like listening to to Biggie really, you know, influences songs that I've written musically, lyrically, anything. It's all it's all in there somewhere, you know. So and if if you soak up anybody who achieves that level of success, you know, you're learning from one of the greats, maybe not directly, but uh yeah, you know, well it, I think it, it makes uh, sense. A big part, it, it makes total sense. And I think a, a big part of like listening to hip hop in the 90s was that they were using samples from the 70s, you know, or the 80s. And a lot of that music was very steeped in, you know, kind of soul music. Um, and then uh, in terms of, you know, the CBGBs and the McDonald's bathroom, I think people smoke a lot of things in there. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can learn about, you can learn about the world in that McDonald's, which I believe is still there. My, my brother lives at the corner of Bleecker and Broadway. So uh, he's lived there for like 25 years. So uh, I still get down to that neck of the woods every once in a while. And, uh, but that um, CBGB's is like a chase bank now. It was like a, well, a John Harvados for a while. Oh yeah, but there's a chase next to it. You're right. It is a yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But there is a chase bank like right next to it. And I'm just like, all right, I guess that's the ultimate sign of the times, though, that uh spot next everything's a chase bank now in <laughs> New York. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm going to ask you both kind of the same question. Uh, so, uh, but since we're sort of on this, what is the first time, Johnny, where you, you know, went to, you know, as opposed to just hearing somebody playing music or a friend putting it on, where you went somewhere specifically to see live music? Do you remember the first band you went to see or maybe somebody brought you to see or maybe, you know, especially somewhere like New York, maybe somebody was just playing outside and you heard them in a park or something? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so um, my mother and my father are both musical and uh, you know, I kind of grew up in the blues clubs in New York city. So um, I think it was 1994, which would have made me about five years old. And I was at this club on, I think it was 9th Ave and 18th Street. I think that's about where it was. It was called Chicago Blues. And my dad brought me and my sister to see Bo Diddley play. I mean, it's still, oh, wow. you know, obviously another one that we've lost, rest in peace. Um, but I fell asleep and, you know, I was so small that, you know, the back of my neck was about even with the top of the chair. So when I fell asleep, my, you know, I was open mouth snoring kind of thing. And Bo Diddley stopped the show and I woke up in the middle of it. And he was saying how, ah, he must be too old because he's putting the kids to sleep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was my first like impactful memory of like a live music experience. Um, and I got to see him years later at uh, maybe in 2000 at BB Kings. And, you know, my, my, my dad, uh, you know, talked to him and told him, Hey, this is the kid that fell asleep all those years ago. And so it was kind of embarrassing for me, but it was a cool moment. <laughs> Other than that, my first real big concert was at Roseland ballroom. I think I was eight years old. It was Halloween and it was an Alice Cooper concert. And I was terrified. It was crazy, man. Two, two things about that. One, I was at that show uh, that Halloween. I think it was either it was like 2001, maybe 2002. I forget exactly. But I was at that show. It was great. Uh, my first show, you know, you're talking about being uh, five or six in 1994. Uh, I graduated high school in 1994. So uh, we've established that I'm older. But um, the the first concert I went to, was also Alice Cooper. It was in 1990 at the Ritz, which is not the original Ritz, but it's the it's the Ritz that had been Studio 54. It's that location, and um, I I was like 14, uh, and it was you needed to be 16 to go to the club. But I always give it today that we're talking. It's my mom's birthday, so I figure it's the ultimate tribute to give credit to my mom for making me a fake ID. It was a fake school ID with my birthday on it, but they just, it, it was not convincing, but they just looked at it and it was like, if she wants to bring a kid who's under 16 to see Alice Cooper, you know, what do I care? Let's just, just get in as long as nobody's holding a, holding a knife or, you know, uh, a bag of weed or something, it's fine, you know, back in those days. But uh, so, yeah, I can imagine, I mean, it's it sort of, uh, you know, then that summer I also saw Kiss and Aerosmith. And so there was like a very high bar from bands that I, that I, what I expected from bands, but yeah, seeing Alice Cooper as a kid, uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Uh, when I was a kid, Kiss were still in the makeup, you know, before they put it back on, before they took it off and then put it back on. And they were on a show on PBS called three to one contact. And it was supposed to be about like stage lighting and all this stuff. And I was like four and I was terrified of really Gene Simmons in particular. Like I remember being that scared. So that took a little while. It was almost like they needed to have the makeup on for me to consider actually listening to them. But uh, being so little and going to an Alice Cooper show where, you know, he at the very least had his head cut off. I'm sure there was, there was stage play. There was fake blood. 
what uh, what did that do to you? Uh, did you did you uh, did you have a lot to process after that, Johnny? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, one thing I do remember, which is really funny, is th this is when they still allowed glass bottles, and also since it was Halloween, my dad painted our faces, so we were, you know, constantly like you know people coming up to us like yeah and we were just like oh my god but i remember watching uh glass bottle tomahawk through the air and just smack this woman in the face oh. break her nose blood everywhere her screaming and no one really flinched and me and my sister were just like oh my god like we were like i said terrified but it was also like <laughs> you know what a what a great first concert because you know first of all the music was killing the show was stupendous you know uh, it was so great and also you know that kind of experience where you see people you know maybe enjoying themselves in a different way but coming so much outside of themselves you know so much outside of how they act in their normal lives and going there on halloween and just letting it all out you know it was just kind of a, a confirmation for me that you know music really does things to people i don't want to say that i ever want anyone to throw a glass bottle on someone else's face that i do not want that at all but you know it just kind of shows you like it kind of makes people let loose and kind of forget about their you know whatever's going on in their life their hang-ups and uh you know it has an effect so yeah no absolutely and i you know it's one thing to you know have uh, alice's fake head being held and pretend blood oozing out of it but actual blood from uh, it's crazy i hadn't thought about that in years about like they used to give people glass bottles and uh obviously that was a problem uh my enduring memory from roseland is uh, i saw rancid there in like 95 and i lost my shoes because i was not prepared for, for the surge of the crowd i lost one shoe and two seconds later i lost the other one uh so that was a fun walk back to the port authority bus terminal but uh trey similar question for you just sort of you know, seeing music being performed, it doesn't even have to be the very first time, but what is a time sort of early in life that really stood out for you of, uh, you know, getting, you know, it's, it could even be the moment where you're like, oh yeah, I definitely want to do this. Well, uh, I grew up singing in church. So um, I, other than that, uh, my first concert was Britney Spears in 2000. And that nice. actually was the moment that I decided that I wanted to, I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> that looks like fun. Yeah, that's when she was still singing and dancing, you know? It was a good time. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, you know, that's that's like the sweet spot, I think, to mm. to have seen Britney, you know. It's uh there's there's probably something to be said for seeing sort of the, you know, the the Vegas residency lounge Britney, you know, you're gonna get to hear the songs, but yeah, to have had a show like that, yeah, you know, it's like uh uh, yeah, it's it's nothing like, like uh, seeing sixteen-year-old Britney, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And I mean, you know, it's uh, you know, she, it's it's more fun to have those memories than you know, follow her on Instagram. So uh, you know, definitely, and uh, yeah, but that sort of just goes back to what I was saying earlier: is like you know, good music is 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 good music, and you know, a good show 
is a good show, show. you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And, and to what Johnny was saying, you just sort of the way that people respond when music is, you know, it's like, there last year there were multiple documentaries on uh, Woodstock '99, which obviously didn't go well uh, from a lot of different advan a lot of different vantage points. But some of the concert footage, I think it's like during Limp Biscuit or Corn, everybody's jumping at the same time, and you're like, it's like fifty thousand people all jumping. I mean, look what look what's happening to them, and uh, obviously those documentaries highlight that it's not always a good thing when 50,000 people have that much energy and, and, and not a place to burn it off. But, you know, when you sort of think about just that reaction that music can have that, and I've never, I've never been in a crowd that big, you know, but uh, anything that I have been in, uh, it's like, it's great when everybody's there kind of for the same thing, you know, I, I went with friends to see the the Grateful Dead a couple times when I was in college. It was never my favorite thing, but it was like a, everybody was kind of in it together. And, you know, I probably just didn't have the right acid. That's probably what it really came down to. <laughs> but, but it was like, you know, it was, it was very cool. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's it, when everybody's there, uh, I think there's something to be said about that. And, you know, look, I've been at, I've been at club shows here in LA at the, the Whiskey A Go Go, where it's also like, and what is it like maybe 300 people in there, but you can still feel it because you're all kind of on top of each other. Also much cleaner bathroom at the whiskey than either CBGB's or the McDonald's just to keep the bathroom theme going through uh, the whole thing uh, here in the live chat. Dominica Saxon says music is so subjective when it touches you, its effects never really leave you. It's very insightful from Dominica Saxon and uh, I very much agree. So on the topic of uh, live shows, uh, tell us what might be uh, in the works for Ghost Hounds uh, later this year. Anything you've got coming up? Uh, I'll ask you first, Trey. I have no idea, actually. Uh, we did just get signed to Gibson Guitar, um, so Great. we'll probably have a few things lined up. But uh, yeah, when we let you know, we'll keep you abreast. Please let me know. And where is the place to go, Johnny, for all information, all things Ghost Hounds? You know, the video we're talking about for Dirty Angel is on the ghost hounds youtube page but beyond that if they want to keep an eye out for any upcoming live shows or tour dates or anything where where's the best place to go johnny yeah so i mean uh you can follow us on facebook instagram um facebook is just ghost hounds instagram is at ghost hounds band uh, also may 4th we're releasing our next single through gibson records which is uh make it shape so uh, and then we're going to release the rest of the record this summer. Um, aside from that, you know, we are just, uh, you know, just going to start there and keep you guys posted as much as we can. But those are the probably the best channels, you know, to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram. Right. Yeah. And uh, according to what I was given, uh, the album will come out in June, but sometime this summer, and, uh, you know, the idea that uh, Gibson's getting involved, uh, I know last year they put out a, a, a great uh, slash with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators album that's called Four. We're kind of in this era where bands have decided that they're just going to go ahead and put the number of the album. There's like four albums coming out this year that are, you know, six or seven. I like that the, uh, you know, the band Chicago you know, for years they were like Chicago 17, Chicago 18, Chicago 19. And at some point they stopped and it was like, I mean, you just should have just kept going at that point, you know? <laughs> why, also, why? Uh, it's like, it's Led Zeppelin. Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I know. And it's like, then they stopped. It was like, I guess, I guess they did it early, you know, with the first three and the one that most of us call Led Zeppelin for it's because what are we going to call it? You know, those, those symbols. So uh, yeah, but it's a great point. And uh, so that's something to keep in mind for, you know, your next record would be your third, right? So then they, unless I'm mistaken, so then it could be, uh, it could be three. Uh, It's actually going to be our fourth, but technically fifth because we released a live record. So, but we'll call it four. So that, so then it's like four point five, and it already gets confusing. So you know what? Stick with titles. <laughs> I think that'll be good. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as as we wrap this up, uh, when we touched base, uh, or when we were getting started to talk in the interview, uh, I guess you guys are both in Pittsburgh. So how does that come to be? Uh, is all the band there? Or just you guys happen to be there right now? You you really like Promonte brothers sandwiches. So you took a road trip or uh, how is it that you guys are in Pittsburgh right now? Well, I mean, we meet here in Pittsburgh and um, you know, I can speak for myself personally. I think we all have our different reasons for, you know, where we have landed, but uh, it's just, it's, it's where we, it's where the band calls home and uh, we have a community of people that really love us and treat us really nice. And so that makes it easy, but yeah, that's uh that's, that's a good answer for me. Yeah, but. no, I just uh, I just wasn't uh, you know, it's uh it, it, is there is there a decent music scene there? Uh, you know, I mean, uh is it uh, it's not too far from a few major cities, so, you know, I think right. a lot of bands would probably play there, I assume, but uh in terms of, you know, just meeting other musicians and stuff, you feel like uh, there's a decent scene there, Trey? Uh, yes, definitely. The Pittsburgh is is music. <laughs> There's so many musicians running around here. It's uh, that's what makes it easy, you know, to build a community of people that you know feel good to be around because we all love the same thing. And whether they play music or they just listen to music, it's Pittsburgh's definitely a music city. Yeah, I mean, look, my knowledge of that goes back to early childhood when uh, Mr. Rogers had on like jazz musicians and mm-hmm. they would do operas and stuff like that. So, you know, you kind of have a and, you know, we're we're going back 40, 40 plus years. But, uh, you know, and uh, but uh, Johnny, is uh, is it a nice change of pace to end up in uh, Pittsburgh uh, from Brooklyn? You know, it's a it's a it's a little bit more laid back, I'd say, you know, the the weather's about the same. It's not like, you know, you moved to Buffalo or something, right? Yeah, I mean, the the weather's pretty cool. Uh, one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, Pittsburgh has a, uh, it's very steeped in a rich uh, history of jazz. Um, and that, you know, has kind of infiltrated itself into, you know, the music that's going on now. So, you know, just give a, a shout out, you know, our keyboard and organ player, Joe Monroe, he's in the Beaver, uh, Beaver County Hall of Fame of music. That's right. Uh, he's a wonderful musician. Um, you know, Bennett Miller, who plays bass for us, he uh, actually is from Cincinnati and he, you know, he went to the New England Conservatory of Music, got a master's degree. Uh, Blaze Lanzetta, our drummer, he went to Berkeley College of Music. So, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be accepted here um, as as musicians in such a rich history of of you know really high quality music and we're we're all very grateful for that. For me, I, you know, I'm I'm from the school of the hard knocks. You know, I yeah. I, uh, I just 
listen to records and try to imitate them like a parrot. So, you know, I don't have a degree in music, but, you know, I just play what I feel. And, you know, like I said, to be accepted in this community is, is really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you talked obviously earlier about uh, Jimi Hendrix and it's, uh, you know, very easy to point to one of the greats like that, but uh, you know, you talking about just listening to music and trying to imitate it. It's hard to not think about, uh, you know, Hendrix, I think it was the Monterey Pop Festival where he played, I think he opened with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and the album had come out like two days before, you know, it like had just come out and he's like, well, the, this is what I'm working on. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's gotta be uh, kind of cool to, uh, you know, to think like, yeah, I can, I can sit down and uh, try and figure out uh, what this is, you know, so, and uh, obviously, the support of uh, Gibson as a record company goes a long way. And uh, you mentioned all the ways to find ghost hounds, Johnny, Bob, Trey nation. Uh, it was great talking to both of you. Hopefully uh, that uh, calendar of upcoming uh, live gigs fills out. And uh, if you guys are in Southern California at any point this year, uh, I'd love to get a chance to check you out, but uh, thank you both for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for having so us. Much, Christian. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. And for our audio audience, give a listen right now to Dirty Angel. She's the girl you always dreamed about, perfect in every way. And after her, they broke the mold. is Johnny Lightfoot of DeMall 777. It's very important to make sure I get the 777 in there. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Christian. I appreciate it. I remembered the name DeMalls. You know, there's only so many apostrophes in rock music history, and that was one <laughs> that uh, I remembered. And uh, you, the original uh, version of the band is not something you were associated with, but uh, just kind of refresh people's memory sort of you know there was a there was a few a few songs that uh i i basically i went on youtube and i'm like of course i remember now you know what i mean it was one of those you said oh, to sure. jog the memory uh sure. so talk a little bit about uh about the band as it existed and uh so, you know then we'll get to this current iteration and where the 777 comes sure. from. sure you know it's funny i remember the band uh back in the late 80s early 90s with songs such as All I Want, of course, the MTV video 777, yep. Supersonic, you know, all those songs, The Answer off the second record, Warped. I remember all of those. And in fact, some of my earlier bands actually covered those songs. And we played we played All I Want back in the day. And uh, I remember watching them, the, the Kings of Glam, basically some of the guys that started the whole glam thing in the LA scene, bands like Poison and Warrant and other bands like that that were more known as the glam kind of took from DeMalls back that time, including my one of my 
earlier band, Skid Scat. We did that as well. But then, yeah, right. It, there was definitely like there was the levels to to sort of the glam look. You know, you had like, you know, you had like early '80s Motley Crue, where it was like it was as much. And then uh, the the guys in Poison, bands like Britney Fox, The Malls mm-hmm. is a perfect example. It was always like, well, let's put a little bit more rouge on. Let's get our hair a little bit higher. You know what I mean? And that's right. Uh, obviously, as people look back, what they forget somewhat like that first poison record is great but demal's record listening back to the first one i was like oh yeah there's so many great songs on here you know it's uh it's very you know it's very easy to look back and go like okay that's a lot you know like like kiss has those albums where they didn't have makeup on and there's so much spandex and big hair but it's like those are great songs but uh You know, just don't show the videos. So they were really entrenched in that scene. But you were aware of them. And you're saying you would uh, cover some of their songs and bands you were in. Yeah, absolutely. We would cover them. I I knew about them all from the get go. Um, My my personal opinion, and you never hear this very often and the record label will never admit this. But I think the record label made a mistake releasing 777 as the lead track. I don't think it was a correct representation of the malls back in the day. Now, whether that's for me to say or not, that's just my opinion. Um, I think if they would have released All I Want or even Supersonic, we may be talking about a totally different level of that band. Sure. But um, fast forwarding a little bit, I I joined the band Air Supply in 2001 and was their bass player and music director until 2017. So I so was yeah, told- you had a you had a long run with Air Supply. I saw that in the the notes yes, that I got. So I did. Uh, but in and about Tr- tremendous band, great, great songs, but uh, very different than uh, what came out of the glam hard rock scene of the Sunset Strip of the late 80s. You know, it's a very yeah. different sound. No, no. Air, Air Supply was, you know, it was a bread and butter gig. It was a great sure. gig with a massive band that had nine top five singles. At that time, they had one more uh, top five single than the Beatles at that time. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was a massive band and it was great. And I, I'm fortunate to have been able to do that and tour all over the world, all over the planet and just be part of that massive entourage that is air supply and force of them going out all over the world. But in the like right before 2010, I met up with Desi Rex. We are on a, a same label. The band I mentioned earlier, Skitscat, was signed to a record label called FNA Records. Right. And um, Steve, the owner of the label, said, oh, do you know Desi Rex from DeMalls? He's in Salt Lake City as well, where you live. You guys should hook up. So I said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. And I think he mentioned the same thing to Desi as well. And then I went into one of our local music stores probably that same week. And uh, it has an amp repair shop there. And sitting there was an amp that said Desi Rex on the tag. Wow. Right. So I asked one of my friends, I said, who works there? I said, is that the same Desi Rex we know from DeMalls? And he goes, yeah, yeah, he's in. He just, he needs this, this amp worked on and, and uh, he left it here. He comes in once in a while. Anyway, so I took a picture with my phone of the tag that had his name and address and number on it. Right. And, uh, and called him. Nice. And I, uh, and at first he didn't understand what I was talking about. I mentioned that I'm with air supply and I've done this and that. And he thought I wanted to do a DeMalls air supply show, which okay. 
he he's like that makes zero sense why would we do that i don't, that, I don't yeah that that that's that's right up there you know uh i i've told this story on the show before but when my mom was in high school uh she went to see the monkeys and Jimi hendrix opened so air supply to malls is like it's it you know Number one is always going to be that mismatch, but it'd be in the conversation for the top 10, you know? Oh yeah. It, it would have been nuts. No. Yeah. So then I, I explained to her, I said, no, I I'm in air supply. I'm a glam rocker from back in the day. And I think it would be really cool to write some music together. And so long story short, we started writing and, and uh, jamming together and just started producing the sound. And then we decided to let's, let's do the band. You know, let's yeah. make them all 777. And the first single, you've heard Blue, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I have uh, I listened to Blue a bunch of times. And uh, that's, uh, that's the first new music in uh, quite a while from, from any iteration of the band, whether it's 777 or not, right? I mean, that's the, right. the first thing in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So um, how that came about was um, Desi and I, as I just mentioned, were writing a bunch of songs. And I said, Desi, I have this idea. Now, just, just hear me out. Just listen. Do you remember the song Blue? And he goes, the one that Leanne Rhymes made famous again? And I said, yes. He goes, that country song, that yodeling song? And I'm like, yes, that that's the one. That one. And he's like, I don't get it. And I said, okay, fair enough. I understand that you don't get it. Let me play it for you. So I played him that. And uh, and he looked at me with this weird eyes, like, once the song was done, he's like, okay, I guess I get it, kind of. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I said, I thought you would say that. So let me play you the version I've already created now right. for Demals 777. And he said, okay. And I played him the version almost exactly as it's recorded of what you have heard. And he was like, oh, the penny dropped. He he got it. And we, we created that. We sang it. And then we took it into the studio and hired uh, Blas Elias from Slaughter and, and Trans-Siberian sure. Orchestra to play drums on that. So that's Bloss playing drums. And then the guitar solo is my buddy, Brian Forsyth from Kicks. So I sent it out, Desi did a slide solo on it. And uh, I said, that's cool. I mean, it's, it's good. I said, but let's see, let's see if Brian can do something. Let me reach out to Brian. And uh, I sent it to Brian. I said, hey, can you play slide guitar? And he immediately wrote back with just this saying, that's my secret weapon. I love that. That's all the email said. Yeah, And so I said, all right, I'm going to send him the song. So I removed Desi's solo out of the track and uh, sent it to Brian. And what he sent back is exactly what you hear on the record, not, or on the mm -hmm. song. Nothing was uh, right, right. changed. Nothing was edited. That is the version. So, yeah, he's a monster slide player. So, so uh, ha having this uh, this interpretation of Blue, this version that uh, is out there, which our uh, audio audience will hear after you and I are done talking, they'll uh, get to hear hear a nice chunk of the song you know the way the yeah. internet is you can't put whole songs out anywhere anymore but uh you can <laughs> fade in and fade out and all that but uh people can of course uh find uh find it to wherever you find music is that the first thing that you had or had you guys you and and uh and desi been together you know working on other things for damal's uh with the 777 or sure. this was really the the first big thing that uh the, the no you guys no we about? have um we have a boy if we were really to sit down we have enough material for probably three records and oh, wow. a couple okay. of five records that desi and yeah. i have done so the band's gone out and done some performances we've tracked every multi-tracked everything we've done 
Um, I think we have two live records ready to go if we wanted to, and then an entire new studio record. Um, Blue was released first. We released it on Valentine's Day, so it kind of made sense with the whole nice. Blue. Yeah. Um, but no, we have, like I said, probably enough for two, maybe three full albums of material ready to go. And we're just kind of waiting. We're, I don't know. I don't, I hate to say we're holding anything back, but we're not. We're just waiting for the right moment to release it all. Right. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, you know, in, in this day and age. And it's uh, it's usually like, you know, if you burn through too many songs at once, you know, uh, they don't maybe all get the right attention. And, you know, there's a there's plenty of people that I'll talk to that will make arguments about putting out an album first, you know, putting out four or five songs and gradually build to it each time, you know, you get a little bit more focus on it. And I think having having one song you like, you know, getting it out there in the old days, you know, that's what there always was. The single came out a while before the record. And then, you know, radio would play new music. MTV would play music. You know, there was a, there was a lot of different avenues to go back uh, in those days. But yeah, I think, the good thing is that, you know, people that are interested, it's very easy for them to, you know, follow the band in various ways, you know, and uh, we'll make sure we get all those plugs in there. So 777 obviously is is that the single from the, the first record going way back, uh, The I think it's uh, 88, unless I'm mistaken, but mm -hmm. in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, so was the idea of putting that in there basically because it's like, well, that's the the song that probably people remember and maybe wanting to differentiate it. So instead of having it be Demol's two, let's make it seven, seven, seven. Was that the, that the thought yeah. process there? Desi and I went back and forth on what to go with. Um, as you know, there's many versions of bands now two, sometimes even three versions of the same band. Um, and we, we debated, you know, do we want to call it Desi Rex's Demol's? What do we want to do? And yeah. we just kind of took, everyone knows Demol's. And uh, we just kind of put the single, like, as you mentioned, the 777 single from back in the day on MTV, which most people know, um, with the name. And it just kind of worked out and it kind of rolls off the tongue really nicely. Yeah, no, no, it absolutely made sense when I saw it. You know, there's the split second where you're just like, oh, wait, that's the band name. You know, it takes takes a moment to get used to it. But then when you know, I'm reading the press release, it uh, it all makes sense. Yeah. So you said you guys have uh, played a little bit. Uh, talk about, you know, and you talked about who recorded the song with you. When you guys are going to do shows, who do you consider to be actual members of the band? Or is it, it is that going to vary from? You no, know, no, we have a we have a band. Uh, we have musicians okay. that play another guitar player and another drummer. So the band is obviously Desi Rex on vocals and guitar and myself on bass and vocals. Right. We uh, then hired uh, Van Christensen. Uh, he's he's part of the School of Rock program, one of the top studio session guys here in Salt Lake. And uh, he's been in the band for a very long time, playing, doing stuff with us, rehearsing. He's recorded on the album as well. Uh, just the, the version we released happened to have Bloss on it. Uh, and then I was searching for a guitar player and we've gone through everybody uh, asking him who's available, what's not. And I called my buddy Eric Turner out of Warrant. And I said, uh, hey, do you know anybody who might be interested? I says, I've got this guy named Mick James. In fact, back before Warrant was signed, he was supposed to be in Warrant with us oh, wow. it just didn't work out so instead of joey it was supposed to be mick and uh, it just it just didn't work out with mick at the time and he, he never really got his due so 
we actually hired him. He lives in LA. He's part of the band. So the band is Desi, Desi Rex, myself, uh, Van Christensen, and Mick James. Right. And that's who okay. does all the live shows. That's who's on the live recordings that we have. And also on the studio record, minus a couple, a couple songs with Bloss and Brian Forsyth. I think Brian played four guitar solos on the record. Yeah, interesting that, uh, you know, you said you told the you know, really interesting sort of, you know, ships in the night crossing at the uh, at the, the what at the record store, the guitar center or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Local music shop here. Yeah. A local music shop. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it made me wonder, is there much of a like a, a burgeoning scene there in Salt Lake City? I mean, you hear so much about rock coming out of Nashville, which people think of as just country music. And I know Vegas has a lot, you know, going on and, you know, there's all the usual places, but you hear about uh, places. This is the first, you know, the first time that I'm hearing about Salt Lake City. So uh, is there, or, or or are you guys really it? You and Desi kind of. No, no, no. There, in fact, um, just about 30 minutes south of Salt Lake, it's Provo, Utah. Okay, sure. Um, bands such as The Used. Um imagine dragons actually started out of there they'll claim vegas but they did start out of there <laughs> right uh and there's there's a couple of other bands that have had had huge success out of out of out of provo so there is a music scene in utah absolutely don't let anyone fool you and tell you that it's it's not there's a huge music scene here with great musicians in fact more i would say more great musicians per capita here than you would find in uh la or nashville or new york the difference is there's more people who play in Nashville, L.A. and New York than right. here. Does that make sense? But so the, the group of musicians I found here are excellent musicians. Right. No, no, absolutely. It makes sense. And, uh, you know, it seems like, you know, that's how these other places, you know, like, I mean, Nashville obviously has been for country forever. But, you know, you started, I don't know, it's been about. And maybe even 15 years where you started hearing, you know, the the first, you know, I know Mark Slaughter's lived there forever. I think you know, Dave Mustaine lives there. You know, you hear about like pretty much everybody has like a place there. It's one of those one of those yeah. things. And uh, yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, you, I, I can see how Utah, it could be one of those where it's like, well, you know, when something comes up, that'll be uh, what we do. So in terms of uh, playing shows, uh, wh how much have you been out there and what do you have uh, planned uh, for say the rest of 2023? Well, we're, we're taking dates right now for the rest of 2023 for summer and fall. Um, we've got some shows that are coming up. Uh, I think we're going to be doing some LA stuff, hopefully some Vegas and Denver stuff, just kind of regionally around Utah. Um, but we're always open, you know, Chicago's, uh, obviously, we got to get back to Chicago. That's where the band originated from. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll be doing we we have a lot still on the schedule coming up. Um, not I, I can't mention everything because the contracts aren't finals. Right. Sure. But, but there is still a lot in play. Um, we're you know, we're, we're releasing the single. We're working on getting the, the record finished up and then releasing that. And then I think things will be hitting a lot harder. Right. And I think uh, it is it is good. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, whoever thought that this version of blue was the thing to start with it's it's not a bad idea because it's like hey i know that song and i mean you think about you know bands who take a song and and put just a completely different interpretation on it and not that uh not that you know he needed to grab attention but you think about like uh johnny cash doing the nine inch nails song hurt you think about you know <laughs> moderately obscure early 
uh, 21st century band, but there's that band Alien Ant Farm and they did that version of Smooth Criminal that, right. uh, you know, and it's just like you can, you know, and I mean, even even Marilyn Manson doing uh, Sweet Dreams, you know, it's just like, I don't know, like I look, I really like the band Weezer and they went and did a cover of Toto's Africa that if you're not listening close enough, sounds exactly like Toto's Africa. And I'm like, well, then why did you do it? You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they're a great band. They have a sound of their own. And like, I think if you're watching a band live and they make it sound the same, that can be fun. But it's like you put it on a record, you know? So I love this idea of, you know, taking this song. And I think it's a smart way to to get attention. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, the the publicist who put us in touch, uh, I, I, whatever the song was, I would have said, yes, that, that's not the issue. But uh, it definitely caught my eye. I'm like, oh, I, I'm, you know, I, I, but I'll be honest. I had three emails to listen to about interviews I've got scheduled. I'm like, I want to hear this song first, you know. So, oh, thank you. That's really it, yeah, cool. absolutely. So, I think it's great. It's a great way to do it. And look, the fact that you have so much material ready to go, it's uh, that's kind of just figuring out the right angle for this day and age of uh, you know how do you get it out there, not rush it, you know, get it in the best way for it, it to get the most number of. Well, I was going to say eyeballs, but I guess it's really you know ear holes. The nice thing is um, most bands have their entire life to write their first record. And right. that's why their first records are killing. And then the second record, they typically have to write while they're on the road promoting the first record. So they have about six months. Yeah, And that's why the sophomore albums are never quite as good as, the, and that's not all the time. Don't get me wrong. But the majority of the time, the first record's great. The second one's not as good. And then sometimes the third one hits hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, look, Poison the Attic isn't Aerosmith's second album. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of examples of not that Get Your Wings is a bad album, but it's also like, oh no, no. But then they really had time to, you know, let's, and with, with Kiss, it was really like the fourth album that, you know, started to find a sound. So, yeah. And I think that, uh, you, you know, we could go through so many bands of like that have great first albums second album and then they really hit their stride later and and i I, yeah i think that the idea of writing on the road there's something about it because the bands are together but you know i mean in this day and age how many bands actually travel together (laughs) so yeah it's very slim but what i was saying is with the new incantation of damal 777 it's almost like a fresh start sure so there's been this long period again where it wasn't forced. It's like, oh, you've got six months now to record, uh, write, record, and release this record. We've, you know, Desi and I have been doing this for years again, almost like it's a first record. So right. we've had that that luxury of being able to take our time and write and pick the cream of the crop songs, you know, cherry pick each song that we want to use. I mean, hey, I'll be honest with you. We wrote in a bunch of songs that aren't great, you know? It just sure. happened. Every, every artist does that. And a lot of them won't admit it, but I'm, I'm happy to admit it. We've written songs that were like, oh, do I don't want to hear that again. You know, let's get rid of it. But now we've had the chance to, to pick and choose and cherry pick the cream of the crop and not release one song, two good songs on a record and the rest of it just filler. We don't want to do that. We want to release an album from song one to song, I don't know, 10 or 12, whatever you, whatever you end up doing that are sure, just yeah. laying songs. And that's, that's the luxury we've had now. So we have the name from its past success. And then, but we've had a long enough break where there hasn't been any new music released 
where we can take that time and really focus on the writing and not be rushed, not six, seven months to write, record and, and release. Yeah, no, obviously, you know, that that can be you know, a little bit too much pressure to to put on the the operation as a whole, you know, and just in terms of, you know, musically, but also the what we're talking about, the machine as it is of getting it out there and making people aware of it. And, uh, you know, if you, you kind of, yeah, they always say you only have one chance to make a first impression. Well, this is a, this is a second first impression, but right. you know, you put the album out at the, you know, there's like <laughs> how many bands put out albums in like early 2020 and, uh, you know, then they couldn't tour. And then it's like, Oh yeah. Three years later, it's like, remember that album we put out? And everybody's like, no, I don't nope. remember that album you put out. <laughs> That's, so that's you just, so true so true you just have to move on to the next one so uh yeah so it's a it's exciting to know that uh you know you guys are all ready to kind of get out there and do all of this um i think it's uh but I, i'm always interested to kind of uh figure out in terms of uh personal influences and things so uh where did you grow up and in terms of like what was the the music like there what are some of the earliest live music you've seen whether they're you know bands we've heard of or you know just uh sure. you know a, a talented friend with a guitar you know what what was uh the ba your background in in music you know i uh it's always interesting to see how that uh the, somebody you know builds sure. on that yeah so my uh I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, where I still am now. Sure. And uh, my, I come from a musical family. My grandfather um, was a multi-instrument player, but mostly bluegrass and uh, and blues. You know, harmonica, a fiddle, obviously a guitar, but a banjo. You know, those type of instruments. But with my last name, there was another person in my family that everyone knows about. That would be Gordon Lightfoot. Right. Uh, relation to my grandfather. So music has always been in my in my bloodline, from my father to my brother to me. I think I'm the one who took it uh, more serious than my grandfather before me. My grandfather used to, that's how he would make money on the side. You know, he used to play in front of movies and, and stuff like that back in the day. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But my first, uh, my first real, how, let's see how I put this. My first real introduction to like live concerts. I'd been to concerts before, but it was an, a Kiss concert, actually. And uh, my brother took me because I, I remember looking at the albums, like sitting downstairs in his uh, in his bedroom. He had the massive old stereo systems, you know, where he had the tuner right. and the, the, the record player on top. And just looking at those Kiss records going, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is this? Right. Yeah, I always I always tell the story that uh, as as a little kid, I remember Kiss were on a, a show on PBS that was called Three Two One Contact, and what they were doing was they were showing stage lighting, and it was you know about the science of that, but there were clips of it, and I was terrified, uh, pretty much of just Gene, you know, the kitty cat didn't scare me, but uh, I so like for that that was my my first impression as I'm like. I don't know how to feel about this. And, you know, and so if I was a little bit older, you know, obviously it's like, this would have been, you know, really cool. So at what point do you remember when you saw them, what, uh, what album they were supporting at that point? Uh, or it was creatures. Oh, okay. Creatures. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so I uh, didn't have trouble getting tickets is what that, that tells right. me, but right. I've seen pictures of the big tank and obviously, you know, I mean, 
Vinnie Vincent is, uh, you know, really an, let's just say a very interesting figure, but uh, <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, just uh, you know, the, the solos that Paul would have to come and yell at him to stop playing. But, you know, right. up, up until he went like three minutes over, uh, I can imagine just seeing that for the first time. And uh, you, you would know, think I Vinnie mean, Vincent was paid by the note back then, you know, <laughs> would actually have, would explain a lot. <laughs> Yes. And uh, yeah, but that's also I mean, it's such a it's such a great album. It's such good material. You know, I mean, they had they had gotten way too far off on the wrong path, I think, with, you know, Dynasty Unmasked and Music for sure. the Elder. So, good yeah. stuff on all those albums. But, you know, uh, I think that uh, Creatures of the Night kind of got lost a little bit. So, I, yeah, I can only imagine the first concert I went to, uh, I, I've talked about it on the show uh, many times is uh, I, I saw Alice Cooper in 1990. It's the first show I went to my second show. I saw kiss in 1990 and I saw Aerosmith like two days later. So it was like, I was like spoiled like instantly because I saw like, you know, three of the best shows that you can see. And uh, yeah, I saw, I saw white snake. That's somebody they put on a good show, but then it's like, right. after that, it's like, everything was kind of a letdown, you know, it's like, wait, why, you know, why, why is oh, this yeah. band just on stage, you know, and they're just playing, you know, where's the show? Nobody's getting their head cut off. Nobody's spitting fire, <laughs> you know, no, this guy's up on stage, just hanging out, playing great music. Yeah. I, I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> no, my brother yeah. actually, he, cause he, he saw my fascination with the records Yeah, and, um, and took me to the concerts. And then I think I also went to uh, follow that up with the Lick It Up tour as well. Right. Then then I was hooked. And then it was just nothing, you know, cons- every time Kiss would come in town, I would go. But uh, I also remember that. And then just playing in general with my, my friends. In fact, here's a funny story. I remember going over to my friend's house one day. I think my mother and I had an argument and I left the house. Right. And of course, I ran away, which was sure. across the street. Right to my friend's house. That's the, that was the big escape. That was the running away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I go over there and I go downstairs into to my buddy's house and all my friends are there, all of them. And I'm like, what is going on here? And they said, we're going to start a band. And, and I go, I want to be in a band. That would be really yeah. cool. They go, cool. We need a bass player. I said, great, I'll do it. What's bass? And, uh, and that's how I got my, uh, my start. I went back, made amends with, with mother. We went to the store a couple of weeks later and bought my first base. And, uh, then the rest, you know, then, then it destroyed me. Then I just became the, the, the monster musician. I probably could have had a huge career in sports or something else, but, uh, you know, instead right. I, yeah, I, exactly. Music yeah. corrupted me and I became the, the, the guy I am now. Yeah. Right. If, if those friends had been gathered and, uh, you know, they were, you know, playing baseball or soccer or something. It's like, that's what you would have ended up doing. It's almost a, it's interesting too, because it's not the first time you hear that somebody ends up playing bass. Cause like, we already have a guitar player. I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, it's fine. Yeah. You know, I'll play bass. Yeah, sure. What is it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'll go get, I'll go get a bass, whatever that is. I, I'll just ask for it at the, at the store. In fact, uh, going, so- going back to my brother, I remember watching an early Van Halen video and uh, my brother trying to explain to me, that Michael Anthony was just not a guitar player, that Michael Anthony was a bass player. Right. Yeah. I no, no, exactly. it, did, it didn't, it didn't like click at that time. I'm like, what do you mean? So it's, yeah. it's funny that I actually ended up being, becoming a bass player and, uh, and having the career I've had. 
Right. Yeah. No. And, and like with kiss, it's hard to isolate Gene as the bass player because he's so much, even when they didn't have the makeup on, he was just this presence on stage. You know, it's uh you don't, Very big you presence, don't really yeah. think about the instrument, you know, and it's, no. uh, it's just like, yeah, there's just, you know, especially when the three of them would do the, the move together. You're like, yeah, they're, they're what they're all holding guitars, aren't they? <laughs> so, they're all guitar players. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, just, uh, I'm just sort of talk a little bit about the, the path uh, that, uh, you know, so you start out in Salt Lake City, but at some point you ended up in in L.A. You would reference the band that you were in around the time that the, the Malls was starting out. And uh, what was uh, what was that like for you? You know, just uh, getting there at that time when, you know, we referenced at the beginning of the interview, some of the bands that came out of that scene, you know, and yeah. we, no, that, we that also band, referenced that bands band. that, uh, you know, would tour more recently with different versions. Rat being the number one of those. I think there were three rats at one point, you know. Yeah. But uh, sorry. Yeah. So what was that? What was that like uh, showing up there at that moment in time, you know? So I actually was not in the L.A. scene. My okay. uh, my band that I was referring to, Skit Scat, uh, off FNA Records, was here in Salt Lake. But okay. I always had basically one one ear what was going on in the Hollywood scene, whether I was yeah. reading Rip Magazine or, uh, you know, Metal Edge or whatever it was. I was just learning about all of these bands. And that's that's where my knowledge of, hearing about Demals came from. And then of course the MTV video and, and all of that. So I was never, I was never there. I was never in the LA scene. I would go and play, but I yeah. never lived there. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you referenced metal edge magazine because what they had that a lot of the other magazines didn't, you know, even if you're branching out like to circus and hit parader metal edge had like all the little pictures and like there would be like 30 band names on the cover. So that is definitely the first time I ever saw the malls written out yes. was on a metal edge magazine. And uh, you know, it, it was, it, I don't know. It was so thick. It was, there was so much more to it than uh, you know, I, I would read all those magazines. But I think uh, it was even a classified section back then. And it would say, uh, so-and-so is looking for a drummer or this band is looking for this. And I would always read all of that because I knew that's what I wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And you, you, it's, it's interesting to think about now because you hear about, you know, I mean, Ace Freely responded to a, a to an ad, you know, a, right. a classified ad, you know, so it's, it uh yeah it's uh, it's such a antiquated way to think about it is because you know what I was about to compare it to is like now you'd find it on Craigslist except like Craigslist isn't even really a thing anymore you know so like I don't no, even, it's I, word of mouth now it, yeah. the only really way to get uh, and he, even hear about these auditions is one hire a headhunter to help find who knows everybody or yeah. someone goes hey uh yeah I know this bass player guy Johnny Lightfoot he's over here you should give him a call you know that's how that's how it's done now. Yeah, definitely. Well, and maybe always done that way in some way. I'm sure, you know, it's always, yeah, I think that who yeah, you know. a lot of, a lot of times, you know, like people end up, you know, playing on albums because, you know, they, they were in the studio next door. It's like, Oh, Hey, you can play keyboards. You know, let's see, you know, like to keep it on kiss. I recently heard uh, Holly Knight say that she played keyboards on all of kisses Unmasked record just because she was, she was in the building and it's like, Oh yeah, we like what you're doing. We can't, we can't put your name inside the album because no one can think a girl played keyboards on on a, a Kiss album. But uh, yeah, it's always interesting to hear stuff like that. Well, and Johnny, I've uh, been. Go ahead. I'm sorry. One more story before we go. Yeah, um, yeah, please. Since we're, stick, since we're sticking with Kiss, and we mentioned Creatures. Yeah. Desi auditioned with Kiss. Oh to wow. Be, to be what Vinnie Vincent became. 
Right. Um, so so Desi could have had the onk on his face. He could have, yeah, or something. But he uh, he went out and auditioned, and uh, I can't. I think he, I think he played on War Machine off that record, and maybe one other one. Obviously, they didn't keep the tracks, but part of the audition right. was come in and record, and let's see what you've got. Everything else will come into place. Um, Desi was part of that. Didn't make the audition. Obviously. Yeah had bigger and better things went on to do uh Demals, and then of course david lee roth he was he was on david lee roth's band for a little while touring and then uh, back to demal 777 but what an interesting little just tie in with the whole kiss thing you know yeah and it's interesting because uh i forget who it is too but somebody was like 16 and, and auditioned for, they showed up for those auditions and they were just too young but they went on to become a very accomplished guitarist and i just don't have it it's somewhere in my head i you know an hour from now i'll remember who it was but yeah, I mean, obviously that opportunity. Well, you know, there was talk that uh, Eddie Van Halen was, had had enough of uh, of Dave and was like, "Well, I'd like to join Kiss." And it's like, "Are you crazy?" Like you, right. you in the band that has your name in it, you know? It was, it, it just, and I think that would have been a really interesting play because I've heard that story as well. In fact, I've, I've heard it from uh, from Eddie himself. I have a connect, I had a connection with him. But um, yeah. just think of what that would have been. But he was just too famous. He was too well known yeah. in Kiss, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think that uh, it would have ruined the uh, the illusion too of who are these guys under the makeup. Right, you you're like, well, we know what this guy looks like. I've seen him, you know. Right. <laughs> it's, right. it's like I'm holding up the the album right here. Yeah, and the problem was that Vinnie Vincent thought he was already famous, and therein lied the problem. <laughs> but uh, one of the problems. But uh, Johnny, it's been uh, great chatting with you, and uh, excited to hear more from Demal Seven Seven Seven. And uh, I'll uh, keep my keep my eyes open for uh, any shows that uh, end up uh, out here in LA. It'd be great to check you guys out. Where do people go to find out more? I mean, obviously, you can, as with anything, you could just Google D apostrophe Mall Seven Seven Seven. But uh, what's uh, what's the best the best spot for people to go to to keep tabs? A lot of you can find a lot of our stuff on Facebook. Uh, just Demal Seven Seven. Just type it in there. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Rex R E X X and Roll. Uh, you okay. know at Rex and Roll, or just at at uh, Johnny Lightfoot Music on Facebook. You can also find our stuff there if you want to get in contact. Um, the new album will be coming out this year. Uh, what's holding the most up is the the delay in records we want to do vinyl yeah and right now if i was to deliver vinyl masters it would be nine to ten to almost a year wait and so that's kind of we're we're, we're kind of working our angles to get in because we want to release it in 2023 as i've mentioned several times it's ready to go and you know a couple couple change a couple tweaks and it's done so it's just it's just getting around to that and we may do we may just do a, a CD release, even a cassette release first, and then bring vinyls at a later date, maybe with some extra songs on it. But uh, yeah. it will be out in 2023. As it, far as shows, um, we will definitely be in LA. You know, there's, there's right. some, I can say there's some whiskey dates and some uh, uh, rainbow parties coming. Oh, that's right. The rainbow does have a big party coming up, actually. So, yes. uh, yeah, I know they do that every year. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's good to know. You know, it's funny you referenced uh, cassettes and cassettes is like the ultimate testament to nostalgia because vinyl you can understand because the format is good, especially if it's quality vinyl and, you know, it, it'll have the sound that you want. 
I mean, cassettes is, well, no, it's not the worst format because that's eight track, but it's not a great format. I mean, how many times did I have to take a pen to try to rewind, you know, tape that like came loose? I've, I've had tapes that I love get, you know, stuck in machines. I've had them snap, you know, all of that. And uh, I I know that, uh, you know, Metallica has a new album coming out and I had heard that it's going to be on cassette and it's like, yeah, but it's the format that I think I had the, the, the earliest albums that I owned were all on cassette, like in the late oh, yeah. 80s, the early 90s. And just the day I got a CD player, uh, you know, it was like, oh, my God, I don't have to worry about all those things. The and know? the hiss, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the hiss. And then, yeah. like, when you really wore out a tape, you'd like in the spaces on side one, you'd hear like backwards side two, you know, mm-hmm. like you could hear like little bits of the songs. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, the the return of the cassette, but I but I that's funny that you mentioned it because I had just been thinking about this earlier that it's like there's something about the cassette, you know. We we have one car uh, here, my wife and I, that it's a it's a '98 and it has a tape deck in it. So there yeah. are those days where I'm like, I'm going to grab the cassette. Yes, I know it, it's old enough; it has a five CD changer too. I'm like, no, I want to listen to the cassette. <laughs> so there's just something about it, and I'm like, yeah, I know it doesn't sound as good. But uh, that's great. And yeah, you know, I've talked to a lot of people that are like, well, the album's coming out streaming CD and uh, vinyl in six months, you know, because you what, just- maybe, maybe the malls will be the first band to bring it back on eight track. We seem to be just be going that way. So let's do eight tracks. Well, I know Cheap Trick put out an eight, eight track like 10 years ago because yeah. they wanted to have the number one r- new release on some format. So it's a very smart idea. So they were like, yeah, we're the number one eight track. And uh, it'll work, but just finding something to play it on that's the key now. Yeah, you can find the cassette deck, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I've got, I've got my, I don't just have my car with the cassette deck in it. So, uh, you know, now, now I'm like, I think I want them all 777 on cassette. And I've talked myself out of getting a CD. Um, I have two small children, so vinyl is very, it's a very risky proposition, you know, yes. it's like somebody's gonna jump, the record's gonna get scratched one day. Anyway, uh, Johnny, thank you so much. It's been uh, great chatting with you, getting to know you. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing more uh, in terms of released music and uh, hopefully checking you guys out. So uh, just look for Damal777 on Facebook. That seems like the best way to do it. And uh, thanks again, Johnny Lightfoot. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Christian. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Listening to the Bladcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. Like The Bladcast on Facebook, follow at Bladcast on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, the man responsible for what you just heard is on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on The Bladcast. Well, this has been The Bladcast. I am your host. <laughs> you can find me at ChristianDMZ. Jeff Duray, not on Twitter. The Bladcast. Welcome to the stream. Who are you? One of the best podcasts you can ever see, the Blackcast. Whoop-dee-doo, we're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Blackcast with me and Carl. It was a great show. Who was the guest that got Cardiff to do the uh, mommy drinkers thing? Oh, I don't remember. Christian Blatt. Christian Blatt. Mm-hmm. I have to say, it is high-level trolling of him to out Mr. Potato Head as a Canadian in that he made him say the word out at least seven times reading those questions. It was amazing. I wasn't sure. I was like, Minnesota, maybe. No, no, no. Clearly Canada with that. Oh, so that was, that was really great. Thank you, Christian. I Curtis, appreciate what it. is wrong with you today, buddy? It's time for everyone's favorite game show to catch. An alien. Are you ready to play? To catch an alien? Christian? That's me. <laughs> Who I've never heard <laughs> hey. of before. So, when I was talking to Christian Blatt uh, this past week, he did the show with us, and he was uh, complaining that he had been listening to Howard Stern that morning, and Howard Stern had the rock band Kiss on their show. Aha. Uh-huh. You like Kiss, Eric? Uh, take it or leave it. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500 last time I checked. And then I put out the announcement that I'm going to have in talk on the show. And our very own Christian Blatt from the Geekscape Book Club, which you can find right here on this podcast network, was like two of my favorite people talking to each other. And I was like, okay, well... If Christian Blatt knows her, then she's cool in my book. And I think the Blatt cast himself is in the comments over there on YouTube saying, as I said on Facebook, one of my favorite people talking to one of my other favorite people. So I will not wait. And let's get one of Christian Blatt's favorite people in here to talk to one of his other favorite people. Hello, fellow favorite person of Christian Blatt. How are you? Hi, other fellow (laughs) favorite person of Christian Blatt. (laughs) How do you know Christian? I got to know that. I recently was on the Blatt cast talking about one of the more recent episodes of the season three of Picard. And also we just did like a Strange New Worlds trivia night over in Hollywood the other day. And it was so much fun. (laughs) Nobody invites me to anything. Christian, (laughs) Strange New Worlds is my Star Trek. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. (laughs) 